Ephesians chapter 4. And we've titled today's message from vices to virtues. If you like taking notes, write that down from vices to virtues. The entire chapter 4, as we've been going through week by week, we've understood that here Paul is focusing on unity in the body of Christ. He's focusing on unity in the body of Christ. In fact, in the very first verse of this chapter, he says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, that your position now and your walk now, your conduct would be in one accord, that it would be consistent now. So here he's given us the last few verses that we read even last week, the principle. What is that principle? To put off the old man. Now that Christ has saved you, now because of His grace, that has changed your life, put off the old man with the habits, with that nature. Put that man off and then put on the new man with His new nature. And the new man is displayed in the way that we walk, in the way that we talk, in our conduct. In fact, the new man has a renewed mind. Because when we give our lives to Christ, what does He do? He changes our heart, but also He renews our mind so that we continue walking in the direction that He's called us to live in. So He says that very thing in that verse 23 of chapter 4, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Why? Because the new man has a new mind, has the mind of Christ. And here he's exhorting us as believers that we would experience complete and full deliverance from the old man and be renewed in our new nature. What is that new nature? It's created according to God in true righteousness and in true true holiness. So when he says put off the old man, he's talking about putting off those old dirty clothes and putting on those new robes of righteousness that are found in Christ Jesus. What's the application from the principle now that we see in verse 25 today? The application are daily repentance or regeneration. What does that word regeneration mean? Is that we've been born again. And as we've been born again, there should be an evidence of the Holy Spirit that is working in every part of our lives that our belief and our behavior would be consistent. So now here from verse 25 to verse 32, he gives us practical examples. I want you to look at these practical examples on how to put off and then put on the new man, how to protect the unity, how we can walk in purity. Now how can we live a transformed life with integrity? Where does it begin? In the mind. As our mindset shifts now and we live in a way that glorifies the Lord. So we're going to look at three major things in this text. Number one, he tells us to be honest, to be holy, and then also to be humble. Be honest, be holy, and be humble. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word as we read out loud together? I'm going to read the odd verses from verses 25, and you'll read the even verses out loud together. It says this, Ephesians 4 25, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, 
for we are members of one another. Nor give place to the devil. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So Lord, today as we come to Your Word, we ask that You would remind us of Your grace in our lives and that we would live that complete and total transformed life. We thank You, Lord, because we can turn vices into virtues by the power of Your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. You may be seated. In verse 25, he begins here this first section in regards to being honest. The new man is honest. This is the character of the new man, a practical, everyday example of a new man. Notice what it says here, verse 25. Therefore, with that being said, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We understand and we see from verse 25, number one, the new man tells the truth. (laughs) Would you write that down? The new man tells the truth. Therefore, since you've put off the old man and you've put on the new man now, cut out your lying. Church, he says, don't be deceptive. That there would be no duplicity in what you say. That you would speak with integrity. Now notice, Paul already said in verse 15 of chapter 4, Speak the truth in love. He's already said that. But again, he's reminding us that the new man always speaks the truth. In the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, Paul tells Timothy, If anyone is going to serve in the church, if anyone's going to be a servant or a deacon, let them not be double tongued what does that mean double tongued that you change your answers to please people (laughs) have integrity in the things that you say you see the new man doesn't seek how he can please people with the answers that he gives that he'll go and say yes to someone and then turn around and with the same subject say no now about the very same thing the new man keeps his word the new man the new woman of the lord keeps their word. What is a lie? It's, it's, it's a statement here. I want you to understand this that is completely contrary to the fact. Be truthful. That we would not be giving statements with the intent to deceive people. In fact, notice that oftentimes we think of a lie or of deception as, as the truth, but then we twist it a little bit, right? Some people call it a white lie. I don't know where that came from. But it's fabricating something that is true. In fact, it's exaggerating. That's also deception. Or making foolish promises. Mis 
representations. These are all lies. There was a Sunday school teacher that told her fourth grade class and asked the class, does anybody know what a lie is? What is a lie? Can anyone tell me what a lie is? And a a student raised his hand from the back of the classroom and said, a lie is an abomination to the Lord and a very present help in time of trouble. He got his verses mixed up there. But he says that the new man, notice verse 25, would put away lying, speak the truth with his neighbor. What's the motivation as to why we speak the truth? Notice the motivation there is for we are members of one another. We're going to speak the truth because we belong part of the same body. And in the body of Christ, there is no place for lying. There's no place for deception. In fact, think about how harmful it can be to lie to the body. How harmful would it be to our body if your arm started to lie to the brain? (laughs) Something very harmful would happen to the body. In fact, we would want only the truth or the best for our body because it affects us as well. And that we would understand this, that there would be no deception because we belong to the same body and it affects everyone around us. It was in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, that Paul told the church this, So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You see what happens when we allow deception to come into the church? Deception always brings division. It always brings division. But truth always builds trust. So here he said, because you care for the body and you want it to be now being built up in truth or in trust, always tell the truth. Did you know that a body can only function and build each other properly if it tells itself the truth? In fact, you are not fit for the Lord's use at any capacity if you're not a truthful person. That's why we have to hold ourselves accountable to the truth and, no show, and show no partiality. Lying not only is going to disturb the unity of the church, but it also corrupts your character. So that nobody believes or nobody trusts you. You see, when we read these verses and and it speaks about the new man, you have to understand that when we speak the truth, the Spirit of God works. But when we tell a lie, you know who goes to work? Satan goes to work. Why? Because the body of Christ has allowed deception to come in. What did the psalmist David say regarding this issue in Psalms 15 verse 1? He says this, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? God, who can abide in that tabernacle? Who can dwell on your holy hill? Notice what he says. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness with integrity and speaks the truth in his heart. That's the person that can abide in the presence of God. He who speaks truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friends. This is now the psalmist singing and praying to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, who can possibly be living and dwelling and stay there in your presence those who speak the truth 
in his heart that don't speak bad or evil or deceptions or tell lies about other people. In Psalms 34, verse 13, he says this now, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Do you see how the new man here, the part of our new nature, understands that lying should be unacceptable to us? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 24, Solomon, his son, would say this, put away from you a deceitful mouth. A deceitful mouth. What was the first sin that was judged in the New Testament? Do you remember the Holy Spirit judged the first sin? It was the sin of lying. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 5 that Ananias and Sapphira came and they said we sold our land and our possessions and they brought the earnings to the apostles' feet. And that Peter said, is this all of the funds that you receive now? And that the husband and wife lied said, yes, this is everything. And because of their hypocrisy, the Holy Spirit struck them right there, right where they were because of lying. Just imagine if the Holy Spirit was working in that kind of power in the church today with that type of judgment as he was in the first church, that when we lie, he just strikes us right there. We can be singing at church, oh Lord, take it all, I give it, surrender all, and wham, there it is. But here he says that the nature of the new man is that they would not lie. A lie always has consequences, even if the consequences are not immediate. So we have to understand that the Christian life is to be controlled by the truth. Don't don't fabricate the truth. Don't tell a lie because you want to manipulate a situation. That's what oftentimes happens. I want to manipulate my situation. I'm going to control the narrative. And then you start to compromise the truth. You see, what did Jesus say in 1 John 2, verse 21? The Apostle John speaks of the words of Christ and what the Lord's told him that He's passing on to us. He says, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. That we would not allow deception into our lives. Now notice this. The new man knows to cut out lying. The new man tells the truth. But number two here, as we see in verse 26, the new man may get angry, but he doesn't sin. Notice what it says there. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath what is it telling us here be angry and don't sin i want you to know something anger is not a sin anger is an emotion in fact the bible tells us there's something such as righteous anger or righteous indignation we see that in the ministry of jesus but here he's speaking of don't let your now anger or your emotions control you Soar out your anger. You see, the new man may get angry, but he doesn't sin. He doesn't allow his anger to move him to sin. He knows how to let go of his anger. We have to be very careful that we don't let our flesh or our emotions control us. It's not a sin to be angry, but it is a sin to be led by anger. Why? Because when you're led by anger, you you know what happens? is you let the flesh control you. And that word there, sin, what does it mean? It means to miss the mark. 
the mark of God's will, the mark of God's holiness, the mark of God's standards. So he's saying, be angry, but don't miss the mark. You know when it becomes sinful? When you allow your anger to now move you to miss the mark. In fact, in Psalms 37, verse 8, the psalmist would say this, seize from anger and forsake wrath. Forsake wrath. That attitude of being angry now, forsake that. Do not fret or don't lose your temper. It only causes harm. What happens when you're angry and you allow your anger to control you? Eventually, you lose your temper. And you start to get upset. And when you lose your temper, you know what you also lose? Your witness. And people see that your life is not truly governed by the Holy Spirit, but by the flesh and by emotions. What happened to Moses when Jesus was, well, uh, the Lord was talking to him in the Old Testament and, what, and he said, Moses, the people want water. And God says to him, I want you to speak to the rock now and tell the water that's going to come out. And he got so annoyed by the people that he struck the rock, he hit the rock, and he, in his anger, he lost his temper because he was angry at the people. And the Lord said, there's consequences to that, Moses. Because you misrepresented me, you're not going to go into the promised land now. Because you allowed your anger now to lead you. You will Notice this, when you lose your temper, when we lose our temper, you will say things and you will do things always that you will regret. That you're going to regret. That's why he says, be angry, but don't sin. The new man has self-control. In fact, he goes on in this very verse, it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Keep short accounts with God and short accounts with people. Maybe you're angry at someone that wronged you, angry at your spouse, and you give them the silent treatment and you're not going to talk to them and it's been days and you guys haven't spoken. And you don't even remember at the end of the week why you're upset at them anymore. <laughs> but it's been the anger that you have fostered or that you have nursed in your heart that is causing all of these divisions. Don't go to sleep in anger. Don't stay angry. Don't allow it to prolong. You see, anger, when it is allowed to linger in the heart, you know what happens when anger now is allowed to linger in your heart? It becomes then a mighty weapon in Satan's hands. And it's a dangerous state of mind because the enemy can come in. Instead of displaying the fruits of the Spirit of the new man that is controlled by the Spirit, the fruit of self Control. You see, oftentimes people that have an anger problem, what happens? They flesh out on people all the time. But when the Lord comes and transforms your mind, when you have the renewing of your mind, you know what you also have now? A transformed temper. You don't get upset all the time. You don't, you don't manifest or, or, or respond now in the flesh, react in the flesh, instead of responding in the Spirit. You're expressing the love of God now. And this is exactly what he's talking about. Be angry and don't sin. Don't meditate now within your heart of that anger. Don't allow it now to, to surface into your lips and into your actions. What happens when you're angry? You start to do things that are not giving a good witness to the Lord. So today, if your team doesn't win, just control yourself. Don't start throwing things. 
You see, anger, notice what, how the Lord uses it. And we have to talk about this because the way the Lord sees it in His Word in Matthew chapter 5, He sees anger as murder in the heart. As murder already in the heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, I'm going to read to you. It says this, You have heard it be said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. You said it. it. You've heard it said in the law. You shall not murder. And whoever does murder is going to be guilty. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, he shall be in danger of the judgment. The same judgment. Because you're angry with your brother. Notice, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means you fool, shall be in danger of the council. Notice how important this is, the anger problem. In fact, he goes, but whoever says you fool, you shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, I want you to focus this. Leave your gift there before at the altar, and go your way, and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. How many times do we come and try to offer the Lord our gift? or our worship, or our time. And the Lord says, no, there's something between you and your brother or your sister, so leave your gift right put there. Go first be reconciled, and then come and offer your gift with a pure heart and with a clean hand. Your anger doesn't allow you to offer your gift in that way. Agree with your adversary quickly. Don't stay angry. Agree quickly. You're a Christian. You're not of the world. Don't let it prolong. Don't let divisions be created by the devil. In fact, it says, because while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison, as surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you pay the last penny. <laughs> you see the consequences of nursing anger in your heart? Resentment in your heart? That it leads to consequences because we're unwilling to let go of anger. Let go of anger. You're a, a, the new person. In fact, notice what it says in verse 27. Because what is the result of the new man? The new man does not make any room for the enemy. In fact, it says, nor give place to the devil. What gives place to the devil when we read here this text? Lying and anger gives a foothold to the devil. It gives the devil an opportunity to divide. What does? Lying and anger. Because the devil's work is to accuse the church. The devil's work is to now divide the family of God. That's what the devil does. Accuses the believer, divides the family of God. And when we harbor anger and lying in our heart, you know what we're doing? We're doing the devil's work for him. Because we've allowed these things to happen in our heart. We start to lie. We start to be angry. And notice what happens. The damage that that leaves behind is very hurtful. Don't allow anger to be nursed in your heart. Do not lie. Psalms 139. Notice what the psalmist would say about his own heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Lord, would you search my heart, know my heart, try me, and know my anxieties. Know what I think about and my worries. And see if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, would you see if there's anything evil and wicked in my heart? Instead of always thinking about the wickedness and the evil of other people's heart, would you see if any of that exists in my heart and lead me in the way of everlasting? 
Lord, search my heart that this would not be it. So he says, be angry and don't sin. Tell the truth now. And don't give any place to the devil. Now notice as we read these verses, we can be angry at the sin, but we must still love the sinner. Isn't that what Jesus did in His ministry that He always reached out to people? You know when you sin, you sin when you take matters into your own hands. We sin when we try to get even. That's when sin is now a problem in our lives. Romans 12, verse 19, Paul tells the church, he says this, Beloved, don't avenge yourselves. Don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't give any opportunity for the devil to divide. Don't give any opportunity for the flesh to manifest itself. In fact, the Lord says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If you try to defend yourself, God won't. He'll let you defend yourself. And notice that when you defend yourself, we're going to fail. So what does he say here? Be honest. But then in verse 28, number 2, he says, be holy now. Be holy. This is the character of the new man. A transformation. The new man tells the truth. The new man, notice, not only tells the truth, the new man knows how to control his temper. The new man doesn't give now place to the devil. But also notice here, the new person, the new man, steals no longer or stops stealing. He doesn't steal. So he says this in verse 28, 28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. Look at all the, the, the practicals, the examples for everyday life as to what the new man looks like. He says, the new man should not be stealing. See, what happened here is that some of those that were slaves at this time became Christians. And as slaves, they were taught to steal from their masters. So he's telling them, those of you that, that have masters that you've been stealing from, stop stealing now. You're a Christian. You have a new nature. Live a life with honesty. Live a life also with integrity. What is integrity? It means that you're whole. That you are not divided. That you have nothing to hide. So don't steal. Many of us would think of that word as if you took something from someone blatantly. But how many people today steal when it comes to their taxes? And they start to fabricate information and start to rob the government or stealing time from an employer or stealing time from an employee. Think about those things. Or debts that are unpaid. Those debts that are unpaid. That's also stealing. Well, what about the one in the church where the Bible says, in Malachi, you've robbed God. What about stealing from God what belongs to Him? In fact, he says the new man does not steal, but he says, but rather instead, labor working with your hands. I want you to circle that word labor because it means hard work. It means to exert yourself to the point of exhaustion. This is the kind of working heart that God commands those who used to steal to now have. 
Instead of stealing now, as you are a new person, have the heart that works hard. He now lives hard work to the highest level. Do you notice that there? Don't steal. In fact, labor, work with your hands. What is good? What, is, what does he mean by what is good? He says, I want you to work hard in something that is honest, something that's honorable, that's hard work, so that you can give generously to those that have need. So as a new man, a new woman in the Lord, you know what happens as your mind is renewed? You don't think about what you can take. Instead, you think about what you can give. And the purpose of receiving now becomes giving. What does the Bible say? It's more blessed to what? To give than to receive. So he's saying here, don't steal. In fact, labor with your hands, not, not, not only to provide for your own needs, but also so that you would have something to provide for those that have now needs as well. Labor. The new person labors. The Christian labors, works hard. The Christian is not scared of hard work. You know what happens is that the lazy Christian robs himself, robs others, and eventually also robs God. Because they don't like to labor. What about Paul? What was he? He he taught us hard work. He was bivocational. (laughs) And it said that he built tents. He not only provided for his own needs, but also for the needs of those that were with him serving in ministry. He knew about hard work. Moses, what did he do? He cared for the sheep. Getting in the Old Testament, he was threshing the wheat. David was a shepherd. The disciples were fishermen. Jesus was a carpenter. The Bible from Old Testament to New Testament teaches us the ethic and the values, the work ethic of hard work. Why? Because idle time is the devil's playground. Idle time is the devil's playground. So he calls the new man, that new person that has been transformed by the renewing of the mind, to work hard. And Paul, what did Paul tell the church of Thessalonica? He was exhorting and encouraging them. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, what is he saying? If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. You don't want to work? You're not going to eat then, he tells them. <laughs> you have to work. You have to work hard. Today we live in a culture that everyone is so entitled that they don't want to work hard. Just give me everything for free. I, I remember as I was working at the bank and, and these loans were coming out in the beginning of the, the pandemic that many business owners would, would tell me, you know, I'm having a hard time hiring my staff back because they're receiving more money from the government that they'd rather be on that than come back to work. I could not believe it. What does it say? Labor hard with your own hands. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul tells Timothy, notice what he says, is, if anyone doesn't provide for his own, especially for those in his household, he's denied the faith, he's worse than an unbeliever. Don't even call him a believer. That's embarrassing, he's saying. <laughs> men, notice what he's saying. He's talking to the men even specifically there. Work, labor with your hands. Provide for your family. Provide for your family. You can't just sit around at home waiting for someone to call you so you can get a job. If you're unemployed, you know what your full-time job is? Is looking to get a job. (laughs) And knocking on doors and being diligent. Being diligent. Here he says, no longer be one that wants to steal or to take. 
be one that wants to work hard and to give. What is it? What, isn't that the nature of Christ? In John chapter 10, verse 10, the, the thief doesn't come to, but to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I come to give life and to give life abundantly. How refreshing, how life-giving is it to be around generous people? So life-giving. Now notice what he says also, not only honesty with your hands, but also honesty with your lips. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That you have had integrity again with your lips. The new man knows how to watch his tongue. His tongue. Did you know that that is the member that has caused more problems in the church than any other member in the body? The tongue. It causes problems all the time. It says, in fact, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Let nothing that is corrupt. You know that the word corrupt means here? He's talking about rotten fruit. <laughs> Are you producing out of your lips good fruit? Is it rotten? Is it a, he speaks of not only rotten fruit, he means of something that is worthless, corrupt, something that is bad, or something that is decaying. That's corrupt. And in verse 29, that's what he's telling us. He says, don't use foul language or abusive language or to be harsh to people when, when, when you're upset at them. What happens when, when something happens and goes wrong or, or you're a part of, uh, of a situation where you're angry? And what do you say? What comes out of your mouth? Or where you now bump your foot at the side of the bed? What comes? Oh my! And then you start to rant, all these kinds of crazy things. He said, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Don't be harsh to people. The new man doesn't ever come out as verbally abusive. Notice what he's speaking about here, or instigating with the words that they're saying. I want to ask you this morning, how do you talk about people when they're not there? When they're not there. Does cursing come out of your mouth? Because the new man knows how to control his tongue. And notice what he's saying. Wash your mouth from worthless now thoughts that should never be expressed. They should never be expressed. Proverbs 15 verse 1. What does Solomon say? A soft answer turns away wrath. But harsh or corrupt words, what do they do? They stir up anger. You're just adding more wood to the fire when you say that. <laughs> Control your tongue. Why? Because a worthless conversation is a misrepresentation of true Christianity. What do you talk about in that lunch break room at work? When people walk by you and they hear you, Bitter words, you know where they come from? A bitter fountain, the heart. Wrong words reveal a wrong heart. How can we say we're worshiping the Lord and come and worship and raise our hands and worship the Lord, but then at home there's cursings coming out of our mouths? The way we speak to our spouse, the way we speak to our children. Notice James chapter 3, verse 8 says this, but no one can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless God and Father and we speak so sweet. And with it then we curse men from that same tongue. 
who have been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. This should be not acceptable. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Do you think that you find fresh water and then bitter water from that same now spout or opening in that spring? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. How is it that with the same mouth that we praise God, we can also go and curse our brother? In fact, notice what he says in verse 29. No corrupt word, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. What else does a new man know? He knows how to speak what is good and what is helpful. Would you remember that? What is good and also what is helpful. When we look at this, we start to think about our conversations. Our conversations should be edifying. They should be directed towards the spiritual welfare of other people. That's why before you say, you know what you have to ask yourself? Is this necessary? Is this going to build up? Is this going to edify someone? Does this bring any type of instruction? Because that's what edify means, to instruct or to encourage or to uplift. Your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Notice what he says. So your words can be an encouragement to those who hear them. Verse 29, that they may impart or be grace to the hearers. Grace here speaks of encouragement. That your words would be marked by grace. Now just think about it. If we've been saved by grace, and we've been kept by grace, should not also we live and speak with grace? That when people hear the words that we're saying, notice how refreshing it is for them. Wow, look at this person's pure heart because of the words that are coming out of their mouth. How refreshing is it to see the x-ray of a pure heart? How, you know how you know that someone has a pure heart? By the words that come out of their mouth. By the words that come out of their mouth. You can say whatever you want about who you are, but when people hear you talk, especially about other people, how does it sound? People, people are listening to you even when you don't think they are. I remember one time sitting at a restaurant and being there and you know, with a few brothers and serving in the ministry, we're talking about the ministry and how you know, we have to really exert ourselves to the people and we love these people and, and really we're there for them. They're not here for us. And we, it was just a, a conversation that, that was, was, was born out of a Bible study. And after 30 minutes of just talking about God's Word and, and speaking about how we want to exalt the Lord and protect His, His sheep, somebody comes around from a few booths over and says, you know what, I was listening to everything you said. And said, we want to just say, praise God, that that's the way you talk about these people at church. People are listening to everything that you're saying. And with your words, you have the power either for good or for bad. Either to build up the hearers or to tear them down. That's exactly what, as we're talking about Ephesians, we're talking about building the body, not breaking the body up or down. When you talk to people, do they leave the room hurt? Do they leave the room discouraged or do they leave edified? Sometimes you think, well, you know what? I really told them. Now they're really going to find out how much I know I'm right. 
If that's the attitude that you have, you're never going to minister to anyone. How do people leave the conversations that they have with you? Do, they, do, they, do you import grace to those that listen? You know who listens very closely to everything you say? My wife always reminds me is the little children in the house. What kind of environment do you want your children to grow up in? What do you want them to listen to when you're talking? What kind of conversations do you have at the kitchen table? I want to tell you, the parents hear something. Your kids should not know every single trial that you're going through. They should not. Protect them, their purity, their innocence, because they are to be reserved sacred and spiritual unto the Lord. Cultivate an atmosphere in your house of peace, of love, and of joy for them. For them. And that's what we have to determine as we read these scriptures before God that we will not allow corrupting comments in our homes. What did Paul tell the church of Colossians? Colossians 4.6. Would you write this down? Colossians 4.6. Let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one's. Seasoned with salt. What does that mean, seasoned with salt? Our words should always have a gracious flavor. When people hear our words, they hear, whoa, that's the grace of God. And it builds an appetite for them to listen and receive more of who Christ is. You think about the, the people that every time you hear them talking, it's complaining or it's negative, right? Every time that person comes, oh my gosh, that person is coming again. Here we go again. Let's hear the same old story again. And if you've never heard that, maybe that's you. Everything is negative. Everything is complaining. It's not life-giving. It it sucks the life out of you every time you hear it. (laughs) Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, comfort one another, each other, edify each other. When people have an interaction with you, they should feel comforted, safe, comforted, edified, just as you also were doing. But what is it that Christ told the Pharisees? He called them, you brood of vipers, you snakes. You snakes, how can you being evil speak good things? You think that you are so good, but look at everything you're saying and doing. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't say, well, I have such a pure heart, but let me tell you everything I know about this person. It's not a pure heart. It's not a pure heart. The mouth and the heart are connected. And if the heart changes, so will the mouth. Have you ever noticed those people that that used to just curse like, you know, every three words curse? And they came to Jesus, and all of a sudden, they said, oh, I don't even curse anymore. Why? Because Jesus got a hold of your heart, and he changed your heart, so therefore your words also change. We have to fill our heart with the love of God so that only truth come out of our mouth, only purity come out of our lips, and that when people hear our words, they're edified. Finally, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation. Thinking of, think about the new man, the new woman. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A priesthood has to do with those that are serving the Lord. 
And notice what happens. It also is a lifestyle, a priesthood. You're separated. You're sacred. You're consecrated to holiness now. His own special people. That you may proclaim. This is what you should speak about. Proclaim this. Speak about this. The praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. What is it that we're going to do as His people? Well, He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light that we should proclaim those praises. You know what happens when you, when you lie? When you're angry? When you give an opportunity for the devil? When you start to steal or the corrupt words come out of your mouth? In verse 30, and we're going to look at that next week, you know what happens to the church? You grieve the Holy Spirit. You grieve the Holy Spirit. And I wonder how many times have we grieved the Holy Spirit because of resentment, because of bitterness, and because of unforgiveness. You're a new generation, His own special people. He called you now out of darkness so that you can proclaim the praises into His marvelous light. Let's go ahead and pray.